Our second scripture reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 14, beginning with verse 1. Let us listen for and hear God's holy word. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house there are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself so that where I am, there you may be also. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him, because he abides with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. I have said these things to you while I'm still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. <coughs> May your good news come, O Lord, not only in the word spoken, but in and through the power of your Holy Spirit and with full assurance. Amen. A distinguished-looking couple walked into the local Presbyterian church where a very friendly usher greeted them at the door and offered to help them find a seat. Where would you like to sit, the usher inquired very politely. The front row, please, the woman answered. Oh, you really don't want to do that, the usher said. Our pastor is really boring. <laughs> really, the man said, and then asked, do you happen to know who we are? No, the usher said. I'm sorry, I don't. I'm the pastor's mother, and this is his father, the woman replied, indignant. After an uncomfortable pause, the usher asked, Well, do you know who I am? No, they said. Good. <laughs> we come to church to be known. Known by God and known by one another. Of course, when we visit new churches, we're a stranger in a room full of strangers, but we hope that phase is brief and temporary. And if it's not, well, then we continue to look for a church where we can be known because we come to church to be known and to be family. And as a family, we gather together to worship God and to celebrate our joys and accomplishments and to mourn our struggles and our losses. And that's why we're here now, in this time, in this space. We gather to celebrate the hard work and the many accomplishments of our graduates, children who have grown up in the classrooms and the hallways and the pews of this church. We'll hear of the great plans ahead and dream together with them about what's next 
knowing that God is at work in and through each one of their lives. But we also gather to mourn and to pray with those in our church family who are ill and who are struggling. We gather at the end of a week marred by horrific, hate-filled gun violence in Buffalo and Laguna Woods. A week, a week where the stock markets have continued to dip lower and lower. A week in which the war in Ukraine seems to be getting deadlier and deadlier. A week in which the number of deaths attributed to COVID-19 topped the unfathomable, unfathomable one million. A week, unfortunately, that's not all that unlike a lot of other weeks. So here today, as a church family, we acknowledge all of that. And we acknowledge that because we are human, worship is a complicated act. And this is a complicated day. And as the Apostle Paul says, we weep with those who weep. And we rejoice with those who rejoice. And this passage from John's gospel leads us in that direction today. I read an article earlier this week in which the writer suggests this scenario. Imagine Jesus as a mother, he writes, standing with one hand on, a, on the doorknob, her coat over her arm, watching her children play Legos on the living room floor. One of them looks up and notices she's about to leave. Where are you going, the child asks. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself so that where I am, you may be also. Can we go with you? Where I'm going, you cannot go. How long will you be gone? A little while and you will no longer see me. And a little while and you will see me. Who will take care of us? I will ask the Father who will give you another advocate to be with you forever. When Jesus first speaks these words, it was a departure time, just hours before his death. But now it's a departure time again. This coming Thursday, May 26th, is Ascension Day. 40 days after Easter, the day that the Christian church marks the departure, the ascension into heaven of the recently resurrected Christ. So Jesus is leaving again. And like children, we want to know who will take care of us. I've said these things to you while I'm still with you, Jesus says. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. The Holy Spirit is one of the most difficult theological concepts in the world to explain. Clint McCann, who teaches at Eden Theological Seminary in St. Louis, warns his students that if their parishioners ask them to explain what the Holy Spirit is, they should give them a serious look, say that it's a profound mystery and then get out of the room before anybody else can ask a follow-up question. In Greek, the word here is parakletos, paraclete, from para, meaning alongside, and kalio, to be called. Parakletos is one called alongside of us, 
to walk beside us, to go with us. Jesus promises his disciples that even though he will be gone from them, he will send them another who will walk alongside them wherever they go. He promises them presence. He promises they will be known. And they're going to need that. Because what they're about to face is a whole lot of absence. During Jesus' brief stint on this earth, he bonded with a lot of people. He had family. The gospel writers tell us about his brothers and sisters. He had a mother and he had a father. He had friends. One chapter later in John's gospel, from what we just read, Jesus will say to his disciples, I no longer call you servants. Now I call you friends. Jesus says that he loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. He bonded with a lot of people and then he had to go. And the deeper the bond, the more painful the absence. You don't need me to tell you that. It's a fact of life. The deeper the bond, the more painful the absence. Last week and this week, a whole lot of seniors are going to be throwing mortarboards into the air and saying, I'm glad to be out of here. I'm glad to be leaving this place. And they're glad to be done, of course, but come August, they scatter to the winds, Nashville or Tuscaloosa or Indiana or Virginia. And those faces you've gotten used to seeing across the band room or the living room or the dorm room will no longer be there. The deeper the bond the more painful the absence. Two little girls have been friends, next-door neighbors, since they were three. They've played together. They've slept in each other's beds, ate at each other's tables. Now they're nine, and one day, the ugliest sight in the world appears. A moving van out front because someone's mother or someone's father is being transferred to Baltimore or Des Moines or Dallas, and suddenly that moving band is hauling their friendship away. The deeper the bond, the more painful the absence. I think Jesus, I think of Jesus talking to his friends on that night at the Last Supper. Where are you going? Do you have to leave? Can we go with you? The deeper the bond, the more painful the absence. On one level, a pointy-headed academic kind of level, what Jesus gives the disciples here is a crash course in theology. He knows they don't have a clue about what's about to happen. So here's the plan, he says, from God's perspective. I will not leave you orphaned. The advocate, the Holy Spirit, the parakletos, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. It's hard to overestimate the importance of those words for the Christian church. This is a major theological turning point. If Jesus, God's incarnate, is the revelation of God on this earth, what happens when the incarnation ends? Can you have true faith only if you had a firsthand experience of Jesus? Or can faith continue beyond that one particular moment in history? I think it's important that a word be said here on behalf of second-hand religion and second-hand faith, because if not for that, none of us would be here. None of us 
have had a firsthand encounter with Jesus. And none of us ever will, at least in this lifetime. But thanks be to God that that doesn't exclude us from faith. The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything. So it's an important moment theologically. And I can appreciate that in a pointy head, theological kind of way. But there's more going on here. And I'm sure you see it too. I will not leave you orphaned, Jesus says. Jesus recognizes this is a critical theological moment, but it's also a critical pastoral moment. He knows what's coming and he knows how hard it is to let go. So he talks to his friends to soften the blow, to get them ready. I will not leave you orphaned, he tells them. Things look bad. Jesus has one hand on the door saying goodbye, preparing them for his departure. Where are you going? Can't you stay? Can we go too? I will not leave you orphaned, Jesus says. I go to prepare a place for you because I live. You will live also. Peace, I leave with you. Peace, I leave with you who lie frightened and discouraged in a hospital bed. Peace, I leave with you who pack up that precious baby's room and drop him or her off for the first time at college. Way too soon, way too many miles away. Peace, I leave with you who throw an arm across an empty bed at night. And peace, I leave with you facing an empty nest. And peace, I leave with you staring across the table at an empty chair where the partner or the friend or the parent used to be. Peace, I leave with you, Jesus says. I will not leave you orphaned. The advocate, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of all that I've said. Fred Craddock tells the story of a four-year-old named William who can't wait for his new baby sister, Elizabeth, to come home from the hospital. I want to hold her, he says. When can I hold her? His parents put him off for a few days, but William has the tenacity of a four-year-old. I want to hold her. Please let me hold her. Finally, three days after they get home, mom puts William in her, in her lap, and dad very gently hands the baby to him, encircled all around by mom's protective arms. William, of course, realizes immediately what they're doing and wants none of it. That's not what I meant, he says. That's not what I meant. I want to hold her by myself, just me. Several more days of badgering, and his parents finally cave. William can hold her just for a few minutes, they say. But he has to be very, very careful. They get everything ready. The nursery floor is padded with pillows and quilts and comforters and sofa cushions and crib mattresses. They put William on a stool in the center of the room and hand Elizabeth to him. Mom and dad tiptoe into the hallway, but leave the door cracked open just a bit. With their ears pressed to the doorframe, they listen to hear what's coming next. It's quiet for a long moment. Then gently, in a voice little more than a whisper, William says, Elizabeth, tell me about God. I'm beginning to forget. I'm beginning to forget. 
I will not leave you orphaned, Jesus says. The advocate, the Holy Spirit will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. Amen.